0: takeaway for the students in building their soft skills which needs to be built out to include things like flexibility, working with multinational teams, tolerance for ambiguity, all of those things that employers do value and they're very important for someone with technical training to get those more nuanced experiences so that they are better able to communicate with their peers, with their teams and become the leaders of the STEM world.
1: Hello everyone, welcome to this episode of World Strides Inaugural Podcast, Changing Lives Through Education Abroad, a weekly series of conversations with international education's most interesting thought leaders, as well as discussions on emerging trends, best practices, and innovation happening in our field. I'm your host, Zach McKinneth, Senior Director of Campus Partnerships with World Strides, and I am so excited about this week's episode. Today, we're focusing on scaling study abroad opportunities for STEM students, one of my very favorite topics. In today's rapidly evolving global landscape, where science, technology, engineering, and mathematics are at the forefront of innovation and progress, the role of international experiences for STEM students has never been more significant. According to the Institute for International Education, Roughly one-quarter of study abroad participants are from the STEM fields. STEM students represent more of the study abroad population than any other academic area, more than business and management, more than humanities, and more than social sciences. In today's episode, we'll delve into the many reasons why studying abroad can be a game-changer for students in the STEM fields, and how practitioners at institutions of all shapes and sizes should think about education abroad for their science, technology, engineering, and mathematics students. I am thrilled to welcome a dear friend and distinguished guest onto the podcast. The Director of International Programs at Stevens Institute of Technology in beautiful Hoboken, New Jersey, Susie Rashu, has dedicated nearly 30 years to advancing global education initiatives. She's the driving force behind making study abroad integral part of the academic culture at Stevens. We love Susie. I can't wait for this conversation today. Stay tuned and sit back, dear listeners, as this is sure to be a captivating conversation. Susie Rashu, thank you for being here and welcome. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. To begin, I'd like to ask you to introduce yourself and give us a brief overview of your career and your current role at Stevens. And if you could, share with us a bit about the education abroad ecosystem at Stevens Institute of Technology.
0: Certainly. So I have been an international educator since I completed my on-campus portion of my master's degree at the School for International Training in intercultural management in 1986. So it's so hard to believe that it's been that long as I'm still in touch with many of my former students from those early days at New England College in Arundel, England. I also worked at their New Hampshire campus of New England College before moving on. And it seemed like a lot of my jobs were in six-year rotations, and so I moved on to other campuses, including the University of Wyoming, which was actually a short stint, um, and then Creighton University, Ramapo College, Bridgewater State, which is where I met Zach, and also in Massachusetts, and then uh, Long Island University's gl- uh, Global College campus. And then I found out about this amazing opportunity at Stevens Institute of Technology to open their first Office of International Programs, and I will be here 10 years in March.
1: Happy Stevens anniversary, Susie. Thank you. We know that at Stevens Institute of Technology, STEM reigns, reigns supreme. Yet despite the numbers, when we think about studying abroad, STEM isn't always the first thing that comes to mind. But in the words of one of your students at Stevens, Study abroad is a thing here at Stevens. How are you doing this? How are you driving forward studying abroad as such a STEM-focused institution? All
0: right. Well, it has certainly been a journey because when I arrived at Stevens, we had mostly um, probably 75 to 80% of the students were going on faculty led programs. And it was small numbers, and even those were struggling, many of them, over time I was able to, you know, make some changes. And we have grown to, at the height of our numbers, was right before the pandemic, and we were at 190, and we were approaching 250, which is the overall goal. One of the things that I've been able to do is really emphasize to students the importance of saving their humanities and general elective courses, and to have some flexibility if they go abroad for a semester, and also to be able to sign up for summer or J-term programs. This is something that I've been doing and my ulterior motive also was number one, to get more students abroad, but also to help them think critically about the world through a new lens, not just an American one. And not only about STEM, you know, broaden their uh, reach by having courses that were not just about STEM to influence their background more, help them to understand cultures better. And understand things like being comfortable with with their uncomfortableness and tolerating ambiguity.
1: When international education is inherent in the institutional makeup of a university, that usually means there's support from the very top. What does that look like at Stevens? Well, at Stevens,
0: it indeed does stop at the very top, start at the very top. So our president, Nariman Favardin, um, was born and raised in Iran And he really is truly a Renaissance man and has been an inspirational leader. But in addition to the president, I also have support from the vice provost, David Zhang, who is my direct supervisor, as well as Jianmin Q, who is our provost. So really, um, from the top down, there is a lot of support in terms of um, encouraging me to get more students to go abroad and um, encouraging me with things like uh, getting brand new software so, indeed, I do have broad support from campus leadership, as well as from many deans and and other leaders on campus.
1: You know, I often think about how, how different education abroad looks at Stevens today than it did 10 years ago when you started. So, a, a very impressive work, once again, my friend, and, and all that you've accomplished in that time. And hey, Imo, you. I want to pick your brain a little bit more. What are some of the unique challenges that STEM students face when planning for a study abroad experience?
0: One of the unique challenges, of course, as many of you would guess, is the curriculum. So, the curriculum challenges are pretty strong at Stevens still, but I do have uh, other champions across campus, the whole category of a study abroad champion, which I know you've been talking about in the podcast, and how we have that uh, at Stevens in a variety of areas. Uh, The curriculum challenge has been met by giving students alternatives, like if they're already so far into their uh, degree that they cannot possibly, like they're done with their humanities, they're done with their general electives. They can't go abroad in their junior year because their major may be unique, like biomedical engineering. It's very tough to find courses abroad um, in that area. So it's better for them to go earlier. So one of our exchanges, which is at Comillas Pontifical University, Universidad uh, Pontifical uh, Comillas, and that one um, is for any any of the engineers. And I was able to bring around several kind of, you know, naysayers who thought, you know, really had an old idea about study abroad, simply that it's it's something for fun and for fluff and you go off on jaunting around and nothing is very serious. And so I was able to turn around sort of the overall approach in some of the departments and win folks over with with programs that were at stellar, you know, engineering institutions like uh, that area of um, that particular school, EKE at uh, Comias. So things like that, finding other programs so basically curriculum matching, uh, curic- you know cur- designing study abroad choices for students. Um, I'm not designing the curriculum obviously, but choices. Students will come in and meet with me. I want to go to Italy and study such and such you know biomedical engineering and I'm like, that's not going to happen. let's how about? College Dublin, how about this? How about that exchange? Looking at all the factors. So that's one of the big challenges. Certainly also sequencing. Like, do not go abroad when you're a junior if you're a chemical engineering major. It's going to be disastrous for you. You need to go when you're a sophomore. You know, finding those right fits, that's a big part of the unique challenges for STEM. There may be that they can only go to one university, which you wouldn't find really for almost any other major, I don't think, right? So that's, that's some of the unique challenges. Also having just those great champions who assist, Connie O, ah, who used to work in my office and was the study abroad coordinator, has now spent half of her time at Stevens in my office and half as an academic advisor for computer science students. And she now encourages every student to either study abroad, do a virtual internship, do research abroad. She encourages them to you know just take a general elective or their technical electives, and so, that's also been a great help, and now having a former study abroad student, an alum, who is the assistant director for curriculum in the School of Engineering and Science. So those are just a few a few takeaways that you can come up with for
1: that. Just a, just just a couple hacks to share. Just a few. Thank you, <laughs> Su- thank you, Susie. Uh, you know, I want to call out one of the things that that you just mentioned because I think it's so important is the way that you are empowering your students to have those conversations about curriculum themselves with their advisors and and their departments. Because I often find that a student delivering a message like that could oftentimes be more powerful than if it comes from someone like us. So can you talk a little bit more about that, about how you present students with the right information and the right tools to have those informed conversations with their faculty?
0: So what they, what students do when they meet with me, um, and, And I revised my checklist, which used to have like 25 things they had to do. And they would look at it and go, oh, my God, right? So after going and attending an ISA seminar, January 2020, um, one of the presenters, who was the VP of probably all things tech, talked about, that's not a good plan, Susie. Don't do that anymore. You know, not directly speaking to me, but to all of us. And so I completely revised it. And I had my student assistants revise it for me. I'm like, keep everything on, but set it up so it's not overwhelming and that it works for this generation. And we did that. So it's in three steps. So the um, three areas of the steps. So the first one is before applying, and they have to meet with their academic advisor. That's required. Now, they're meeting with me then. They're already talking about all kinds of different things. But I tell them, don't come back to me with any of these questions without meeting with your academic advisor, because they're going to be able to help you. And they will also confirm, you think you know what you have left to take? But do you know how many students have made an error and been like oh shoot i actually didn't have any more humanities left and now i'm kind of screwed and i did this for without an academic um course credit benefit of course they still benefited but so that's that's something that that we do
1: towards like true partnerships with academic advising units F- i love that
0: absolutely and i also sit on the academic advising council along with many other people that are not academic advisors
1: I want to take a moment to highlight the Accessing Careers Engineering and Science grant, or ACES grant, that you all have at Stevens. The New Jersey Business and Industry Association has recognized the achievement of Stevens' ACES program with its 2020 Diversity and Inclusion Award. Susie, tell us more about ACES and how it benefits Stevens' students.
0: Oh, my ACES students are amazing, and I really love this program. So it started out because President Fafardin received an award from actually the Carnegie Foundation. So my part of it is a study abroad scholarship. So I, but it's not just one. I have funding uh, for 14 students up to 5,000. So modeled after two things, really. Mostly our scholars program for the Pinnacle and Clark scholars. Their stipend amount is 5,000. So the same, equal there. And then in addition to that, it's quite similar to like what the Gilman offers, So that's the the model that we used in terms of the financing part. And those students are underrepresented in STEM. That is a great opportunity for us to get more students abroad who might not be able to. So underrepresented in STEM and lower income. and So those two factors are involved.
1: One of the ways that you've always impressed us, Susie, is your ability to encourage male students and students with heavily structured majors to make the time to study abroad. Tell us about how you're not only getting the word out to these populations that study abroad matters and is sustainable. What are your secrets?
0: All right. So one of my secrets is that part of this is that I'm in front of them a lot, right? So I do a weekly email blast. And I know some people say, oh, no one on our campus opens their emails. Well, on ours, you have to. That's part just of the culture here. And I now have noticed that uh, through Outlook that I have a 50% opening rate, which other campus offices say, what? Wow. That's great. When you're doing a blast, not an email. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, that's really high. That's um,
0: so that's something that I just noticed it the other day. I was like, and I kept going through in all the different emails. And I was like, wow, they're all like right around 50. Also, my strong network on campus. I have a colleague who is who took an early retirement several years ago. She was the person I worked with closely in our um, undergraduate academics office, which I'm physically a part of their area. She said, oh, if you need to know who someone is on campus, just ask Susie. Because even though I've been here five years before Susie got here, she knows more people on campus than I do. So I think as international educators, we have to know who everyone is to work with our students, whether it's on the international student side or the study abroad side. We, have, we are often maybe not the only one on campus. Maybe it's a small office. Maybe it's a large office. But we have to know who our colleagues are, and work closely with them. So the network I also de- uh, always already described regarding the academic advisors, very strong contacts in the financial aid office, very strong. That has grown over the years, and there's always one person that's appointed, even if there's staffing changes, to work with my office. Also, our program called STAT, basically it is like our EOF program, so for students who are um, high need and have come in with maybe from feeder schools that, that didn't have the most stellar preparation programs for them. So I work very closely with them as well. And they also encourage their students to go abroad. So that relationship is, is a great partnership. And I, the, I think one thing that is a key with the students, though, I have to say is that I, res- and I've been told this on many occasions, I respond very quickly to their email. And they appreciate it. And I know that encourages students who are, we all know there's a higher level of anxiety right now amongst our college student population. And many students, what they're writing about is things they're very anxious about. Like, what if I don't know anybody? What, you know, what's, uh, you know, I need to know who else is going on this. They'll a- ask it more like, I need to know who else is going on, you know, I, because I want to plan my travel with them or whatever, but really it's an anxiety. What am I going to do if I don't have a friend while I'm there, Right. So or financial worries, things like that. so I will answer quickly, partly at night. I will also answer simply to like sometimes move my morning forward so that I don't have as much to do. But I think that makes a big difference to students is that I do answer quickly. And um, and so that that's something that they tell me.
1: And to our listeners, I can confirm that Susie has the fastest fingers on the East Coast when it comes to email. And I think you're right. I think it makes a huge difference to students because they feel heard and, and they feel like, you know, you're taking their concerns seriously. And we all are. But you're, you're making the effort to show them that that they're, that they're top of mind for you. You know, in my conversations with you, Susie, and, and observing the way you speak to your students, one thing is crystal clear about your approach. Study abroad is for everyone at Stevens. I'd love for you to highlight some students in particular who are able to study abroad against all odds.
0: I would love to do that. It's actually one of my favorite things to talk about. One who stands out was my first biomedical engineering student who went abroad. I was told that he was high on the spectrum. He was also an athlete. And he didn't really understand, you know, the boundaries of, you know, like knocking on the door or not just barging in. And he would do all of that. And I was relatively, you know, it had been a couple of years since I've been at Stevens and I was able to handle that kind of interruption. Today, I really can't. But he came in and then, you know, he, we were working together. He finally he got courses approved for the first time ever for biomedical engineering. So in this student's case, I ne- I, I, definitely know that he drove the teen abroad office crazy with a thousand, if not a million questions. Um, <laughs> but he, we, you know, we kind of stayed on, on track with each other about that. And then in fact, Dan O'Brien was involved at the time. And then when he came back, I could just see, I will tell you that it was like he had a glow. He had a new glow about him. And not saying that he didn't still interrupt or not understand boundaries, that didn't change. But he had found his tribe when he was abroad. He found other students from all over the world to hang out with. He told me all about road trips throughout the North Island and the South Island. You know, I just, it was it was thrilling for me because so many people were like, oh, he shouldn't go. He won't do well. And so that's an example. Another quick one was a student with a medical condition, which prevented him from going abroad. He'd had over 30 surgeries on his face. The very beginning of the pandemic, when everybody you know morphed over to these different virtual options, I had approval quickly for virtual international internships because my students love internships. They're a little obsessed. And so this student actually worked with a program program that included an internship in Ecuador where they were designing different key components for different things. And one of them was very biomedical engineering related and that he was a mechanical engineer, but often they, they, they delve into biomedical as well. And he helped design the outer ear for um, the components of an outer ear. And his report, when a student gets a scholarship and we have a work abroad scholarship, when a student gets a scholarship, they must write a two-page report. And those are the ones where I get teary-eyed every time. And his was particularly moving, talking about how he didn't even think he would have an opportunity like this ever, nor would he have the opportunity to interact. And this program included interactions with students in Ecuador at the height of the pandemic. So that's that's another one of my favorite ones.
1: Those are really great stories. Thanks for sharing that, Susie. Just thinking about all the, you know, at World Stars, we talk a lot about life-changing experiences, and those, I think, would certainly qualify um, for that. So, thanks for sharing that. It brings, a lot of, it brings a little warmth to my heart on this cold day outside. Absolutely. What are some of your best advising hacks for STEM students?
0: So, this hack was a spreadsheet. Of course, it's, it's tech. You know, everybody loves even, like, the low tech of an Excel spreadsheet. And so... It included all 16 programs that were approved at Stevens, mostly based on dates, because they needed to be back in time uh, for the weekend of the 20th of January. And it included all the approved courses. And then we were highlighting those that were offered in the J-Term, that we knew to be offered in the J-Term. We did this partly because we needed students to know where the where they could take a humanities course because it does have that higher level where it needs to be beyond just reflective writing and last year i noticed that students ghosted me if they did not get their course approved right away they just would be like oh i disappeared i was going to do j term but eh, i went out the window and uh, you know i still had 32 students last january but i want more this year, this january and i want more students also not just for some number as part of a goal but also because those students still have very transformational experiences, and often it's the only time they can go. Examples, co-op students, as well as seniors, other students who can't fit in, even juniors, it's often quite difficult to do anything longer than that or to do a summer. So that's my favorite hack so far. It's been very popular and well-received.
1: One of the ways you support your students is by helping them cut through the noise. What are some ways that you share information with students in amounts and formats that are digestible?
0: One of the things that I do, and I do this working with our provider partners, such as um, those with Worldstrides and others, and I prov- we work to get a short list of programs for the students who are going to go abroad through the Pinnacle and Clark Scholars Program. And so what happened is we used to have hundreds, right? My former uh, vice provost really liked the fact that we could give them so many different opportunities. And that's great for our generation, probably. But for this generation, they need more things in smaller sound bites. And again, I learned that from going to that seminar. That, that certainly reinforced it for me. So I was able to um, reach out to all of the study abroad providers and our other um, university partners and request that they send me no more than 10 programs for the summer list and that's made a tremendous difference. So that is one um, that has really worked well for the students.
1: Setting students up for success in their pursuit of study abroad means that our offices intersect with so many others on campus. How are you building and strategically tapping into key relationships on campus to help ensure smooth transitions and support for your students?
0: One of the the ways that I sort of expand my relationships, because I've got a lot of good ones, but then expanding them are to put folks on committees. So I will ask them or tell them they've been selected, you know, use that kind of terminology. They've been selected to serve on the ACES Study Abroad Scholarship Committee. You've been selected to serve on the International Education Month Committee, which is a whole separate thing, but part of my job. I will also ask them to make presentations or invite myself to their meetings so that I can make presentations. So that, that is some of what I've been doing. And then the other thing is tracking folks down. So, you know, we have these relationships that I build the relationships with the students as well as the faculty, the academic advisors that I've touched on and, and then giving presentations. I am lined up to give a presentation as soon as I can fit it into my schedule with the Office of Undergraduate Admissions because I want to make sure that their counselors, as they go out across the U.S., understand all the opportunities. I don't ever want a student to be told before they come to Stevens, oh, we don't think that will work well for you. We don't think computer science majors can study abroad. That kind of information may have been shared in previous years. I'm not sure, but I want to make sure that never happens uh, because uh, their staff will be better informed. So those are just some examples of ways that I've been building relationships on campus.
1: You know, as director at Stevens, you're obviously um, in charge of strategic planning and also building these types of key relationships that you've been describing. Many of our listeners are likely seeking ways to encourage more STEM students to go abroad. And it would be helpful to have some talking points to share with campus leadership and with students during advising sessions. Tell us, Susie... How have you seen students in STEM be impacted by their study abroad experience? And how has it been a critical part of their overall curricular experience at their university?
0: I have been particularly moved this summer and fall reading my students' uh, scholarship reports. So one of the students who got an ACES scholarship is a cybersecurity major, one of the hardest majors for me to ever encourage them to think about studying abroad. There have been one or two approaching it really since twenty sixteen, which is when I, I know that I sent my very first student who was cyber. So this student remarked that he took an international marketing class and you might wonder why a cybersecurity student would take a class like that. And basically, this is what I how I wanna, you know, structure this to answer your question, Zach. And that is that this student talked about how he did not realize I mean, he probably should have, but, you know, he hadn't gotten to that level in his studies to realize that cybersecurity is always international. Really, there's all kinds of intersections of it. The culprits could be coming in from anywhere in the world and often are. And so he just really didn't understand that. So his big takeaway is, number one, hey, guess what? I already had a background in Spanish because I'm a heritage speaker. Now I'm pretty fluent and I understand uh, European a Castilian Spanish. He was also in Barcelona, so Catalan came into the picture as well. And so now he really feels like he's ready to be a bilingual cybersecurity, you know, fledgling expert when he graduates. So I think those stories, the stories I believe are a lot of what can sell leadership. They love the stories from the students. I know that that often makes a very big impact on the leadership at Stevens, is hearing the stories. Yes, you can have all kinds of data. You can have your data points. The takeaway for the students in building their soft skills, which needs to, you know, needs to be built out to include things like flexibility, working with multinational teams, you know, tolerance for ambiguity, all of those things that employers do value. And they're very important for someone with technical training to get those more nuanced experiences so that they are better able to communicate with their peers with their teams and become the leaders of the STEM world.
1: Fantastic. Thank you for sharing that, Susie. You know, as we begin to wrap up here, I just have one more question for you. As you think about education abroad in 2024, what makes you hopeful?
0: I think what makes me hopeful is that I I really thrive on the excitement of the students. So that, that always keeps me hopeful are the students. I think also, that just attending both the NAFSA conference as well as the World Stride Summit and seeing like all these wonderful new things coming up like using Chat GPT to, um, I use it with my student assistants right now, I'll, I'll say start an email for me. And they're like, I don't know how to do that. I said, look in Chat GPT and you'll find the answer, right? My boss uh, was just at the uh, speaking, uh, presenting at the uh, advising council today. He brought it up as well, using it for academic advising. So learning these great tools, every time I go to a conference, I meet new people who are, you know, colleagues in the field, and I love to also encourage the younger international educators. And so that's another thing that, you know, gives me hope. I haven't had time to be in the NAFSA Academy, but I have always had time to um, encourage uh, the younger colleagues who will be, who are becoming the leaders in our field today. So I think those are just a couple of things.
1: Well, I can't imagine a better place to end things than right here. What an inspiring and insightful conversation. Susie Rashu, thank you so much for being here.
0: Thank you, Zach. I really enjoyed it and I really appreciate the opportunity. My students are going to change the world, and I encourage all of you to send more of your students abroad and change the world as well.
1: Here, here. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us for this episode of Changing Lives Through Education Abroad. I am your host, Seth McInnes, and please make sure to join us next week as we continue to explore topics around international education and exchange. Thank you to my spectacular World's colleagues, Lindsay Kelsner and Sarah Katuba, without whom this podcast would not be possible. Please subscribe to Changing Lives for Education Abroad on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, and share with your friends and colleagues. Let's create life-changing moments together.